that is an interesting philosophical question, which the Maimonides, the Rambam, deals with. But he is really dealing with more, where am I using this power of free choice in my life? If you're interested in getting a hold of these books for yourself, um, they only sell them in like three packs in English. It's about $27, $28. You can get them in most Jewish bookstores. But we will try to have copies of you per each week of the pages that we're going to be dealing with that week. So today, I want to start with first defining our terms. We're supposed to be discussing something called free choice. Mm. Let's first think, we all make hundreds of choices throughout our day, right? Choices as to where we go, what we eat, what we do moment by moment, what we think, what we say. How would you define a choice as being a free choice? What makes a choice free? What do you mean when you use the term free choice? Just tell me your name again. Alina, um, if there's options and that that will have a different result, then you use only the ones you choose. There have to be, first of all, as soon as you use the word choice, there have to be more than one option. And when you said free choice, how did you define that? The free part? I have control to make that choice. Using just even that definition, do we have free choice over all aspects of our lives? I heard yeses and I heard noes right away now. Whichever position you you support, tell me why you said what you say. Do you have, do we have total free choice in our lives over everything or not? Uh, I say no. One example is the decision to eat or drink. We have to do that in order to stay alive. Now, what we eat is the choice, but the act of eating or drinking itself is not a choice. Are there people who go on hunger strikes? Well, that's true. I'm wrong. I guess I'm very pro-life. <laughs> <laughs> so, even the decision to eat or drink could be yeah, really a choice. Down that route. Right? Like, I didn't even... Do we have total freedom to choose in any area of our lives? Alina. Well, if something happens to you, you can, you can say that it, it, like, it wasn't your choice, but you have a choice to, like, to, to respond to it the way you want. Okay, so we don't always have choices as to the circumstances we were put into. I don't think anybody here ever chose what their body type was going to be. If we would have chosen them, we may have chosen different ones than we got. Um, nobody chose the family that they were born into. Nobody cho chose, probably, which elementary school you were sent to and therefore which social group you were exposed to. So there are many areas of our lives that are actually predetermined, that are given, that we didn't really have more than one option about as to which one we got to choose. The question is then, are all the things in our lives predetermined? And clearly there the answer would be no, because you have the choice whether you're going to eat, whether you're going to drink, where you're going to go, right? Good. Now when you say, I have control to make that choice, um, let's say you're making a decision whether you want to eat some sushi or not. Is that free choice? Yes. Let's say I come over to you and say, the sushi tonight is really good. I just tasted it. Not only that, but it's quite helpful 
You know, the avocado has a lot of vitamin C within it. Um, you, the seaweed gives you certain minerals. Would you say, I have taken away your freedom of choice now as to whether you're leaf? No. Which means that even if there's pressure in one direction or another, that doesn't take away free choice because that doesn't determine what I will choose. It may influence what I will choose, but it won't determine what I will choose. Therefore, some people, I just want to point out, begin by saying, Judaism doesn't really believe in free choice because God gives us a list of commandments. And when he gives us commandments, he tells us, if you do this, you get this reward. If you don't do this, you get this punishment. That takes away free choice, does it? No, because it's the same pressure as my saying to you, go for the sushi, it's really good, it's really helpful. You have a pressure in one direction, but it's still you who's going to determine whether you will submit to that pressure or whether you will decide to do your own thing. Bottom line, there are people who, knowing the rewards, knowing the punishments, decide to follow certain mitzvot and certain people who decide not. So we always have choices minute by minute, even though we know of consequences of our choices, right? Example number two, just to make it clear, um, if I say to my child, I just want you to know, if you're going to be late to school again today, I'm not going to be able to give you your allowance this Sunday. Have I taken away his freedom of choice? No. Because even though he knows there's a consequence, he may decide it's worth losing my allowance. I don't mind. I'm going to come late to school anyway. I want to get out of bed late. So the fact that we have rewards and punishments do not affect the freedom of choice that we have. Good. So let's take a typical choice that we make throughout a day. Um, let's say I wake up in the morning and I'm deciding, should I have cocoa pebbles? <laughs> oh boy, my marker's not working well. Hold on. Let me see if I have another one. Okay, my choice is cocoa pebbles or cookie crisp. Now I am purposely in this case not choosing certain types of cereal as you'll see in a minute. Cocoa pebbles or cookie crisp. How many people in the room right now would choose the cocoa pebbles? Okay, give me a reason why you would make that choice. <laughs> is that a logical reason as to why to choose cocoa pebbles? Why? Now it's, take it further. Why does making chocolate milk make it better? Because she likes the chocolate milk. So I wouldn't say, when you say a logical reason, what she's saying is this choice of cocoa pebbles for her gives her added pleasure. Which part of you is enjoying that added pleasure? Or what determines that you, you enjoy the taste of cocoa pebbles? Which part of you? Taste buds. My taste buds. Good. 
Now here's an interesting question. I'm sorry, you really can't see this too well, but I'll try to work with it. Did you tell me your name again? Alyssa. Alyssa, did you ever make a choice as to which taste bud sets you would get? Yeah, I suppose. When oh wait, wait. You mean what do you wait? You mean my taste buds? Yes. Oh, no. Okay. Are there other people in this room who would have chosen the cookie crisp? Okay. Would you, what would have been your reason, Michelle? It reminds me of my childhood. Oh, now there she has an emotional association. <laughs> <laughs> good. Cereals again. Oh, good. I'm going to come back to you in a minute. Why would you have chosen the good cookie crisp? I think the taste of the cookie, I like it better. She likes, her taste buds prefer the same to her, her taste bud pleasure likes cookie crisp. Did you ever choose which set of taste buds you were going to get? Not really. Now, we just said a free choice is something that I have control to choose what will be. Now, it is true that in both cases you chose to eat the thing, but the reason that you chose to eat the thing had something to do with something that was predetermined, not by you, but by God <coughs> and your creation that wasn't you. So in a certain sense, when I say I have freedom of choice, what I'm really doing is following something that was implanted in me that I never chose for myself at all at that moment. But you're still choosing, like, okay, if it wasn't between Cocoa Krispies and co Cookie Crisps, sorry, mm -hmm. so if it was between um, a, one of the sugary cereals and oatmeal, you could still choose to overcome your taste, uh -huh. your predetermined taste buds desire for something tasty and choose something that your brain knows might give you a better start to your so morning. So, Julie, you're leading us to the next one. That's why I said I specifically cho chose these two versions of cereal, which are both the sugary kinds. Okay. There, here, there was no value choice going on. What was going on it was there was a body choice. My body was pulling at me in one direction. I like that feeling. I'm pulled by it, and I go for it. Now, are there any people in this room who like both Cookie Crisp and Cocoa Pebbles? You like, the they both give you pleasure, okay? Um, which one would you have chosen? I think the so maybe that's free choice because she enjoys both and she is choosing one. Why would you have chosen the Cocoa Pebbles? Yeah, right now, the moment sounds better. <laughs> when you say sounds better, what about it do you think would have, would have tilted your decision making towards that? So what she's saying really here is, there are two poles inside her body. The cocoa pebbles is pulling at her 80 degrees on the pleasureometer. The cookie crisp is pulling at her 60 degrees on the pleasureometer. Both give her pleasure. She's stuck inside over here. She's being pulled in two different directions inside herself. Both poles are coming from taste buds that were determined or that were planted in her from before. And now, she is going for the stronger pull. In that case, who is really making the decision? Still, my taste buds. Because my taste buds were having a, a battle between their two pleasure experiences and sensations, and then whichever one was stronger won out. Now, what, what I'm pointing at is like this. When I just go for a body pull because my body is pulling me in that direction, then there's very little me that's actually making that decision on a conscious level. Let me, let me make it clear again. 
Um, when I say, who am I? I might be Kalazan, right? The first thing you see about me is my body. But that's just my external part of self. Let's say, um, for some reason, somebody would create a taste bud transplant. And instead of my taste buds, tell me again, I'm sorry, Alyssa would switch with me, and she would get mine and I would get hers. Would you say, I am not I.V. Kalazan anymore? I have lost my self-identity. No, because my taste buds are not really me. My body is something that I own. It was given to me. But as soon as I say the word my body, that means there's a my, and then I own that thing. When I say this is my jacket, I'm not my jacket. I own this item, and it belongs to me. My taste buds are an important part of me. They belong to me. They're not me. They were given to me from the outside. So therefore, when I make a decision or a choice that's only being pulled by my body pull, at that moment it's hard to say that it was I that was having the control to choose it because I was really being pulled by another force that was planted in me that I never chose for myself called my taste buds. Let's say we could do a, dream, a brain trans transplant, and Alyssa and I would switch brain cells. Would you say, I am still Ivy Kalazan? I'm hearing yeses and noes, both. How many people would say that I've changed my identity if I've changed my brain cells? I wouldn't say 100%. It's not, sorry, I don't mean to call out. I just can't decide because I, I don't think it's 100%. Not clear. Not I clear think cut. it's part of who you are, but not fully who you are. Okay. Yes? I mean, you are like your soul. And I don't know if your soul is your brain. That's interesting. Right. So my soul resides in my thought processes and, okay. and my personality. So what happens here is, they don't have nowadays brain transplants. It doesn't happen. <laughs> but if there would be possible, my brain is my real, my personality, myself the way I think about life. So when I'm making a decision or a choice that's a conscious brain decision over my body, then there's an I coming in there that's saying, I want this. So let's change the choice to Julie's situation. It's Cocoa Pebbles versus, what would you put in there, Julie? Oatmeal. Oatmeal. Now in this case, how many people would still go for Cocoa Pebbles? Honestly. Okay. If you go for the Cocoa Pebbles, what would be usually the reason why? Taste buds. In which case, I am following something planted inside myself. If I would go for the oatmeal, which part of me is, is going for that? My brain. My value system. Now, when you're talking about a brain, that's already a me. That's an I making a choice and making a decision within myself. So, why am I pointing this out? Because... There are many choices that we make throughout the day which may feel like we're making choices, but they're not always an active, free choice of me controlling and deciding what I want to do. So, for example, I went shopping in ShopRite, right? Now, I spent an hour going down the aisles, and as I'm going down, I'm like, oh, wow, the cereal aisle, they were like, 58 grams of this one, that one, and as I'm standing there, I'm feeling like, oh wow, should I do this or that? And then I'm going to the next time, should I do this or that? And by the end of the shopping, I feel like this isn't so many decisions in my life. Now the truth is, 
if my decisions were really coming mostly from that inner debate or that inner struggle between two taste bud preferences, even though I feel like I'm choosing, there's very little choice that's actually going on on a free choice level. If I am making value choices, like, you know what, for health reasons, I really want to eat this thing. Is there any implanted stimulus or instinct that a person has to be healthy? Now that's interesting. I think it's the fact that you're training yourself. So I think it goes back to Either your parents may have implanted in you, in which case it may not have been that much free choice, or I may have really taught myself through previous choices and decisions that I made to value this thing. But that was a choice that I made. So once I've made that choice, there's a me, and that is considered a real free choice decision. If I'm making a choice whether to buy a kosher item or a non-kosher item, is there any built-in instinct to go for kosher? Not really. So my body may be pulling at me and saying like, hmm, tastes good. But then there may be a brain decision that's saying, but you know what, is this really spiritually good for me or not? When I have that struggle going on between what my brain wants and what my body wants, then there's a little me here, and I'm choosing between the two. And when I make that choice, that's an I having control to choose. That's what we call really a, a free choice. Outside of the taste bud example, would you say like any example related to your senses would be a sim like would fall into that category? Like if you were in the cereal aisle and one of the boxes was just brighter and more colorful and it was more visually appealing, and you chose that, is that also not really a value choice because it like just aligned with the eyes you were given? That's a very good point. I mean, anyone, any choice that I'm making just because of the sensual stimulation that I'm experiencing is not really me deciding it, me being pulled by my eyes, my taste buds, whatever it is within my body that's pulling at me at the moment, right? If um, a guy and a girl are together and there's a lot of physical chemistry and attraction that's going on between the two and they just allow themselves to be pulled just on a physical level again, I can't say, like, wow, I chose to be loved and to give love. At that point, it really may have been a physical stimulation, almost, I don't mean stimulation, but almost on an animalistic level, like an animal also would have been pulled on, on the same level too. Whereas if I decide to make a choice, like, do I want to now? How much? Where am I? That's coming from that, that, that brain decision perspective. Any other? I also imagine like the exaggerated, like on the opposite side of the spectrum, like a side that like a really righteous person who makes decisions to, which seem like they would be like a value choice for us, is not maybe a value choice for them because they're so much more righteous. Interesting point. If a person has made many, many previous choices already towards good or truth or positivity, they can reach a point where it's almost natural for them to do it. The only question is, is that something that they had control to develop in themselves, or is that something that came from an outside that was planted in them? That's always the, the underlying question. Were they born with a tendency towards spirituality, goodness? Maybe, maybe there are some people who really have very you know, patient, compassionate, giving natures, and it's easier for them to make good choices. 
But a tzaddik who really has become a tzaddik, usually he has made so many choices previously that he controlled to choose in that direction that at this point it may already be tendency. Yes? Actually, I was thinking the same thing to follow up with that. I was going to say, well, sometimes people prefer, they just, their taste buds prefer like healthy foods over not healthy foods. They just like the taste of broccoli better. So now that's not, like you're making the right decision, but a, a person could be doing a mitzvah without actually choosing to do it based on that, you know, pull or whatever, because that's just what they feel like doing as opposed to deciding to do it. a very, very good point. So and and if there's no absolute statements of this choice is always spiritual or free choice, and this one is always not. It's always coming from the question of which, what is leading me to make that choice, which part of myself is really in control at that point. Now that actually brings up an interesting side question, which is, is there any way that a person could do a physical act that their body is pulling at them to do and do it from a place of free choice? Yeah. Blaine? When you're elevating an action, like if you're going into a deli and it smells really good and there's a pastrami that you want to eat but you already ate and you just want to buy it, instead of eating it yourself, you're going to give it to someone else on the outside. Oh, that is beautiful. Now, that's clearly a value choice versus what my body wants right now. Good. I'm asking, though, is there any way a person could decide to eat the pastrami and he's in the mood for it? Or go to bed at night and my body's pulling at me to go to bed and it not be my body that's controlling it, but it being my, my inner self that's really controlling it. Yeah, I don't think it always has to be going against each other. And I think part of what we're saying is when you get into a healthy grind of the higher self practicing more power, then your body's like your body and your higher self start to become in sync. And they can work they, they don't always have to be at odds with each other. That is really true. That is true. Sometimes I can already train my body almost to want to go in the right direction of, of where my higher values want to go. So let me give you just two examples and you tell me. Let's say I walk in at night. Let's do not a taste bud example. I walk in at night and I'm really exhausted and I'm just, I want to go to sleep, but I haven't eaten since breakfast and I'm thinking I'm really hungry, right? So now that feels like free choice, right? Go for the food or go to sleep. Would you say it's free choice or not? Let's analyze it together. The choice is either eat or sleep. If the person decides that they're going to first eat the meal before they go to sleep, what is usually the reason why they will do it? Their hunger is stronger. Is hunger something I chose for myself, or is that built in? It's really built in. If the person decides he's going to go to sleep and skip eating, what's the reason usually he'll go to sleep? He's tired. Is the tiredness something I chose for myself, or is it built in? Built in. So if I'm just going towards whichever one is pulling at me more strongly right now, and I'm really going to eat because my body's pulling, I didn't do anything wrong. I made a good choice because I needed to eat, but that wasn't free choice. That was just my body pulling in one direction more than the other. But let's say a person says, you know what, I have to get up at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I know that when I don't get at least six hours of sleep at night, I'm irritable, I'm edgy, I'm not going to be nice, not to my roommates, not to my friends, not to my parents, I'm, I'm just not going to act well. So I'm going to make sure I get to bed on time. Now, they're going to sleep, right? 
Which part of them is making that choice? Their brain. Which means I can sometimes really be addressing and taking care of physical things that my body wants and needs, but it doesn't have to be only from a body pull. I can make that choice and that decision from a value choice of saying this is important because it has a higher goal and a higher spiritual purpose as to why I am going to do this. And part of the art of spiritual development in Judaism is about taking many of the choices that I would be doing anyway by rote on a more animalistic level and saying I want to weave into this a higher goal and a higher ideal of why I want to do this thing. So when I'm eating breakfast in the morning, I have to eat because my stomach in the morning is announcing, get me food now. That can be the same as my dog. You know, I'm feeding the dog food dish, and he wants the food the same way. But I can also say before I eat that food, you know what? I know that when I don't have breakfast in the morning, I don't teach as well because I'm hungry, I'm uncomfortable, and I won't be as nice to the people around me. I'm going to take care of my body and feed it now because I want to be a more productive, fulfilled, accomplished human being too. But if that's my goal, then maybe I will be more careful with saying my blessings and my breakfast before I eat it because I'm not just eating on an animalistic level. And if I'm eating a piece of bread, I'll wash before I do it and I'll do the benching afterwards because I'm really elevating this whole experience to being one of choice not being one of just instinctive response. And if you think about it, a lot of the um, ceremonies or activities that we do within Judaism take the most physical aspects of living and give it really a more elevated, conscious perspective, right? Um, in Christianity, the highest goal in terms of body and soul is, what do they hold? What's the highest level of spiritual development. You don't have to really know Christian theology. <laughs> Total separation, right? Asceticism. If you want to be a holy person, you'd be a nun. A nun should not get married because physical marital relations between men and women will pull you away from spirituality. You're acting like an animal. You're just being pulled by your body and that's it. There's no free choice that's going on, right? Judaism says male-female connection is not a negative thing. If God planted in us that interest and that pull for physical connection, it's because we really desire an inner connection and a spiritual depth, deep connection of love, trust, and commitment. So what Judaism says is, take that act, and before you go and do it, make sure that there's spiritual framework and spiritual meaning in the way that will be done. Make sure that before that happens, there's a chuppah, there's a ketubah that's written that where the two people are committing and are loyal to each other. Make sure that, that there's something called mikvah, which puts the woman at a higher level of purity and development before that act happens. So what Judaism says is if we're created with a body and a soul, we're not meant to be denying the body part of self. We're meant to be taking those body actions and using them in conscious, free-choice, spiritually developed ways. A monk in a monastery will be told most of the time to like eat dry bread, just drink water, a lot of fasting, a lot of minimized speech because they're saying, you don't want to just be a body that's so animalistic. Judaism says on Shabbat, the most holy day of the week, don't just eat dry bread and water. Make yourself sushi and chocolate chip muffins <coughs> and chicken and you know whatever things you really like. 
But that meal cannot be just about ingesting, filling my stomach, and excreting, because that any other animal could do too. Make sure that at that meal, there will be inspiring words of Torah that will give me greater clarity of insight, time, family time, or relationship time with the people around me, inspiring song. Take the physical and make it a free choice action or activity. Where does where do you cross the line though? Like it sounds like what we're saying is based on Judaism or what real goodness is that you should always strive to make a value decision and to be conscious of what you're deciding. But like sometimes when I think about how many commandments like mitzvot there are and how many halakha and everything, sometimes it feels like it could lead to more OCD type of behavior where you're being too thoughtful kind of about your actions. And I think there's some type of need for us to sometimes let it go and let our body say, okay, I'm tired, let me go to sleep and things like that um, to, you know, maintain like mental health. But I wonder, is that not the case? Does Hashem always want us to be fully in the zone? That's a a very good point. That is, it is possible for people to almost get a little bit neurotic about like the intensity of this has to be fought through and this. Now, the question is, did Hashem want the, let's say, experience between men and women, or the experience of sleeping and eating, to be one that's pleasurable, or just to be one that's intellectual and soul-oriented? Also pleasurable. And the proof is that he built pleasure into the system. Meaning, if Hashem just wanted us to be these computer robots, who would be like, okay, time for marital relations, guys, here we go, (laughs) then he he wouldn't have created pleasure in the experience. Because Hashem, and, and it's very interesting because one of the most, the strongest um, physical pleasures that exist is male-female connection. And the reason that is built with so much intensity is because the deepest desire that we all have spiritually is really love, relationship, and connection. So Hashem made that the body experience should be almost like a mirror image of the inner internal spiritual experience that we want to be able to have and to attain. Um, I mean, you know, if you, if you look at all the songs that are being sung out there, they're not singing about food and what you ate for breakfast. You know, they're really all about male, you know, relationship and connection. So I, it's not like Hashem doesn't want me to enjoy the experience of going to sleep. When I lie in bed at night, I'm like, <sighs> my body is just totally enjoying that chilling. All I need to do is, for five seconds before I get into bed, just think to myself, like, oh, well, this pleasurable experience will be for the sake of also serving Hashem better tomorrow. Now I'm going to relax and enjoy the goodness that Hashem gave me through this, through this experience. And the truth is, it's very hard, I think, for a person to really have a relationship with Hashem of love and of feeling His goodness unless I can enjoy those physical experiences too. I, kn- I remember um, one teacher in Israel, Sari Yochavet Riegler, used to say, if you're ever working on a spiritual project for yourself of improvement that you're trying to do, you know how like with your kids at home, like who are seven years old, you make yourself that chart, and when you get 10 stars, then you get a chocolate bar, right? She said, you have to reward your body, not just your soul. So when you're striving to do a certain thing and you say, wow, you know what? When I have made sure that I davened for 10 days in a row, or not even in a row, 10 days this month, then I'm going to go treat myself out for ice cream with my friend and celebrate together. Because she said that the body very often is in a struggle with the soul. I don't want to get out of bed and have to dodge in 15 minutes earlier. I want to just stay in bed and be able to just run off to work. 
So if I'm going to drag my body up to do something that's going to be difficult, my body has to feel the pleasure of the rewarding that afterwards so that it knows that it's not just a soul experience. Yes? Um, I hope this isn't backtracking. What about a tzaddik who was born and raised and lives at a tzaddik, as a tzaddik, and like he was just taught to daven and connect to Hashem, and, he, like, and so he wasn't taught otherwise, and he might not know, he or she might not know about other choices? Great question. That is chapter two. In, in, <laughs> <laughs> in choice. So you're not backtracking, you're forward tracking. <laughs> Okay, good. You already saw the whole movie, but you're going to continue to make the decision. He's like rewatching it, but I'm still making my choice. Yeah. 
Maybe I should give you one more example again. You tell me which which level of choice this would be. Um, I want to, I get home. I'm pretty tired, and I'm thinking maybe I should go to sleep. But then I'm in the mood to also read a book. Let's analyze both sides. If I go to sleep, which part of me is deciding that? Body, because I'm I'm tired. If I decide to read a book, which part of that is deciding it? That's a little hard. It's not my body. My body isn't pulling me to read a book. It's my emotions, right? I will enjoy the pleasurable experience of reading the book. Now, is, is, let's say I say to myself, Noah, I know that if I stay up reading for the next two hours, I'm not really going to function well tomorrow. Even though I'm in the mood to read the book, I'm going to go to sleep right now. So I'm doing a body act. I'm going to sleep. But is it my body deciding? No, that's my brain deciding. So what I'm just pointing out is, it's just interesting over the next day, over the next two days, as you're making different choices in life, just ask yourself, is there a me choosing this? And which part of me is making this decision? Is it just my body pull, or is it a higher part and a value system within myself? Last part that I want to just share with you today, Rabbi Dessler gives us one more example, which seems like it fits into all our other models, but it's a little bit different, and I'd like you to analyze why that's so. I don't think you, nobody has the text in front of them yet, right? No. Um, does somebody like to read it, like to just say, you don't have to open their mind with all the time. I want to read two paragraphs out loud from Rabbi Jessler. Thank you so much. So even those of us who are not smokers, I think we've all experienced it's like with the potato chip syndrome, like <laughs> just sitting there at the table and like there's the, the snacks out there, and, and you're like, I know that I should not be having these oily, fattening, unhealthy potato chips. But then you just say like, one potato chip isn't going to be the end of the world, and then 20 minutes later, the whole, the whole uh, bowl is gone. So here you're talking about to smoke or not to smoke. If he decides to continue smoking the next day, which part of him is making that choice? Body, right? That's pulling at him. If he decides not to smoke, what would be the reasons not to? Health. Survival. 
Ah, is the desire to survive, to live. Now, he already had chest pains, so that means he knows that he may be having a heart attack. The desire to live or to survive, is that a value decision, or is that an instinct that we have implanted in us? Instinct. Well, there apparently is. it's my instinct. <laughs> As before. <laughs> right? So. Most people, we are built, just like animals, also have a survival instinct. So actually, even the desire not to smoke would seem to really be an instinctual body pull that I want to live. Now, if I would ask you, which do you think is a stronger instinct? The desire for my body to have pleasure or the desire to survive and live? Which would you say is usually stronger? Logically, survival would seem to be an 80 degrees on the pull. Pleasure is something we like, but we would say like maybe 50 degrees. Interestingly enough, though, we don't always find that most people are not smoking. Many people do choose to smoke. So Rabbi Nestler is asking here, what's happening in this thing, in this choice-making, where I have two body pulls, this one would seem to be the stronger one, and yet many people choose to do the weaker one. Is that a value decision to smoke? That wouldn't make too much sense. When you say easier, I have to spend money on those cigarettes. I have to go and buy them. I have to, I'm not even allowed to smoke in public places, so I have to go stand outside in the cold very often to smoke it. So, so there is a physical addiction. Are there people who overcome it? Yes. And which part of them is helping them overcome it? The survival instinct, which means that when a person really feels the survival instinct very strongly, they are able to control that instinct, that, that, that addiction anyway. Oh, now do they choose to look for the external support, or is that usually given to them in a predetermined way? Like, some people are, the support is brought to them, other people go and seek support if they're at that point where they realize their survival instinct is stronger. Uh, so, so the, if, if the support is brought to them, does that determine that most people will always go for it? No. So it's still a choice that they would have to make that I want this support and I want to go for it. Now you would think that everybody should be going for that, like they should be running because they have such a strong survival instinct. I think not, well not, because um, you don't really have a, I think you don't have a survival instinct, you have an instinct to do things that will keep you alive, like food, like we have an instinct for food. Not because, you know, like when I'm eating, it's not like, oh wow, this is great because I want to live. It's like, wow, this is good because we just, we just want to eat, you know? So like after a while, after so dependent on like a drug that like alters your body enough to that that like the sensation is all like also becomes like your instinct to, to live like you need it to live mm. so you don't you know it's like it alters your body's makeup interesting you know? so like you don't have an instinct to survive you have an instinct to do things naturally and as a result like you survive but in the middle of the night when he was having the chest pains what did he say to himself at that point I'm not going to do it anymore, which means that his survival instinct is still intact and is still pulling him. Yes? I think it's all about, like, living in the moment kind of thing. Like, in the moment, you're like, I really want this, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to surrender to that. But once it's like you're vomiting from alcohol, then you're like, I quit. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I have these chest pains from smoking, I quit. 
once you're in the mood, like you get into the moment, I want the cigarette, and you just you go for that immediate pleasure. So if you don't mind, I'd like you to read one more paragraph there. That's subterfuge. Subterfuge. Now if you're faced merely with the stark alternative uh, to smoke and have the pain, or not to smoke and not have the pain, there can be little doubt which, we would choose, which he would choose. The will to not suffer the pain would easily overcome the will to smoke. How does the weaker will prevail? Simply by means of the subterfuge promoted above. Can I just ask what subterfuge is? Yeah. Subterfuge here means rationalization or, or trickery that he says to himself, I'll only have one cigarette. Now, when he's saying, I only have one cigarette, is he saying, I don't care about my survival instinct. I want to smoke right now. No. He's actually making a decision to try to lower his survival instinct by saying, I'll survive, don't worry about it. I can just have one, and I'll survive anyway. That means that the survival instinct is bothering him enough that he has to try to convince himself it's okay. What's getting him to come up with this whole rationalization within himself? A drop more, and this is where we'll end. We are entitled to ask, what causes the person to adopt a uh, fallacious argument, quote-unquote, uh, one cigarette can't hurt, and ignore the correct one? One will lead to another which he knows as well as anyone else to be correct. Can it be the will to smoke itself taking over the reasoning process? But surely the will to smoke is less strong than the, than the will to not have the pain. Uh, this must be so, so as we saw above, or if not, why the self-deception? He can just smoke in the full knowledge that it is going to hurt later on. Let me just explain again. What he's saying here is, if you would say maybe the will to smoke is so strong that it's 90 degrees, Let me just explain again. What he's saying here is, if you would say maybe the will to smoke is so strong that it's 90 degrees, and he just, he's willing to ignore the survival instinct. He says that's not the case, because then he wouldn't have to rationalize and justify and say, I'll only have one. He could say, I'm going to have my cigarette, I'll have my heart attack in five minutes, that's fine with me, it's worth the pleasure. That's not what people say. The fact that they have to rationalize why I will still survive means that if they would let that survival instinct really come into play, it would win. So what's really going on? What's allowing him to trick himself into saying, it's okay, I will only have one? I'm sorry, I thought it was ready, but I... I... There's another section. Okay. Uh, what is it called? Something else. Something else. Yeah. yeah. So if you let me just read that. Yeah, sure. We are that there must be something else other than the two con contending wills that determines his choice. This something else is none other than the person himself. He is the one who is capable of deflecting his mind from the truth, even though that truth is perfectly clear to him. He is the one He is the one who decides to adapt, adopt the fallacious argument in order to cover up his deviation from the truth. There are two competing wills in his mind, so he says, in this case, is there really free choice going on? He says yes. 
You know what this person is choosing to do? Because of the immediacy of right now, of the moment, he just wants to be able to have that cigarette, and he wants to convince himself that the survival instinct isn't so serious, so he just like sweeps under the carpet part of the information that will make him uncomfortable, and he only focuses on, it'll be okay, I can have this and it's not terrible. Why did the Surgeon General say to put on all the cigarette boxes, warning, causes lung cancer, or, you know, this can cause, because they're trying to put in your head, don't ignore the truth. It's here. Think about it. But people who want to be able to just have the pleasure of the moment, we can just kind of like take some of the information that I don't want to have to think about, move it aside to be able to just do what I want at that moment. He says this is a choice. He says this is a choice which I am choosing to say, I don't want to think about things that make me uncomfortable right now because I want to just be able to do what I want at the moment, and therefore I am choosing to ignore certain things that I don't want to have to face and think about. whether it was a breakup um, or something, they lost their job, whatever it is that drove them to the alcohol, and then over time was the fix that they needed, became the addiction. They took it on, you know, started drinking to mask original pain that they had. So they didn't feel maybe, yes, they had a choice, but instead of dealing with it or overcoming that, they succumbed to what led them to be like the addiction. But So that thing now when they're continuing doing the addiction, they're not even consciously thinking about it anymore because they're just on that automatic mode. But if somebody, either let's say some, some health prep happens in their life that really shakes them up and makes them realize survival instinct come into play, or they have a marriage breakup, which is going to happen and that person says, then they have to reweigh again, which do I want more? And then they can, that um, upping of can bring them to a place of re-choosing, and then they can make a value choice to be able to let go of it. But usually, unless the person has a shake-up that makes them face that reality, it's much more convenient and much more comfortable not to have to look and think. So he's just saying, be aware for ourselves, as I'm making choices through my day and through my week, am I really being honest with my choices? Am I really looking at all, both sides of the, of the coin and really weighing both sides? Or do I just want to do my instinct at this moment, and therefore I'm not even thinking about the negative effects of the alternative? What about like, things like cheating? Like, you don't see the negative effects like, like when you get like, a cancer or a sickness. Like, how do you deal with Right, those are harder to be able to feel the the opposite the opposite pole, mm -hmm. and the truth is even if you talk about something like let's eating health food, you don't see the immediate effect of eating the whole wheat bread as opposed to the you know it's only when you look long term at a person who is older age and you see you know the the effect of making long term good health choices and whether so I would just say if you look at people who have repeatedly made choices which are not based on honesty. And you say, is this the kind of human being that I respect, that I admire, that I really want to be as a person? And then you just say, you know what, this choice is just one step and one piece into becoming that kind of human being. If you look at 60, 70-year-old people and you just see, is this a happy person, is this a positive person? When you talk about something like Tagu Lashon Hara, right? 
there's some people you meet where they're elderly people and they're just like negative about life. You know, like you ask them, hi, how was your day? And they're like, what do you mean how was my day? How do you think my day should be anyway? That doesn't, nobody who's three years old talked like that, right? You took years of training yourself to repeatedly be negative, speak Lashon Parah, speak, which turns you into that kind of human being. So if I can look at the long-term effects of things, it can help me make bigger, broader choices and say, you know, how is this developing? Mm -hmm. Any other questions, comments? Okay, to be continued next week. Thank you. Okay, so um, we are, for those of you that are able to stay,